Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Well, last week we talked about what women want. No. What men want. All right. Ladies supposed to go first, but we didn't do it that way. I said, okay, I say the best for last. All right. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about what women want. Guy's going to get a little bloody in here. It's going to be a little bruising, a little scarring, but I will sew you up in the end. We're going to get the cancer out. And you're going to be better. All right? How many know that most major products come with a manual? How many of you have a drawer like this in your house full of manuals? We ain't never read, though, right? Now, the same is true in the business world. Every well-functioning corporation has what is called an operations manual. And this manual is designed to help both employees and members function correctly within the culture of that particular corporation or organization. And almost universally, before, uh, well, uh, uh, the, the first two areas that are typically covered in an operations uh, manual is the company's hierarchy, which is seen in the org chart, then followed by job description, and then it goes on to processes and systems, uh, uh, occupational health uh, and safety, emergency procedures, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how how I know this is uh, we've had to do that here. In fact, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Ken does a lot of thing, but a lot of things. But his his main job is yeah to to make sure that all of our systems are documented. We have our SOPs in place, and that we're compliant with our, our operations manual. If if we will, if you will, Lord, help me talk today. So here's the deal. So if every well-run company creates an operations manual and that operational manual begins with an org chart the flow of authority why are we so taken back that God might want to create an order For his favorite organization, in fact, the most enduring organization in human history, the family. Before there was a Harvard, before there was a Wharton, God knew what the family needed. The first thing he did was write it in our consciences. 
So around the world, amazingly, whether you spoke uh, hoodoo or, 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 you know, I'm running out Chinese or, or where, where, around the globe, typically, most families had the same organizational chart. It's not that everyone got together, everyone knew each other, we went to the, went to the same school, none of that. We, we just intuitively knew that this is how this is supposed to function. In fact, it probably takes education to get you confused on this issue. So today, before we take a look at what God's operational manual says about marriage, it's important that I take a little time to, to, to make sure that we're looking through these, uh, at these verses through the same lenses. And your lens is super, 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 super important. If your lens is pink, everything is pink. If your lens is angry, everything is bitter, everything is biting, everything is demeaning. So we're going to begin today by taking just a little bit of time, and I'm going to be over time today, okay? I'm going to let you know uh, from the outset. Uh, I'm not going to keep you too long, but, but I'm, I'm a, we're going to be a little bit over time. But we got to take some time to clean our lenses, all right, so we can see properly. When we change the things we, when we change the way we look at things, it's amazing how much the things we look at change. So Matthew 20 and verse 25, let's begin with the master. Jesus called his disciples to himself. He said, guys, you've been watching these Romans for a while, haven't you? They've been in your neighborhoods, and, and we, we, we watch them walking, marching up and down the streets. And, and when we go to court, we got to go before them. And, and, and you, you, know, you, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know how they do it. They lord it over them. You see, pagans think that lord, leadership is about lording it over people that are less than them. And unfortunately, we got a lot of pagans in the church. The pagans here use their power to bully and manipulate. So he calls attention to what's wrong, and then he instructs his disciples on better. He says, you know how they do it, and how those who are great, those who think more highly of themselves than they should, you know how they exercise authority over them. And you know how insecure and, and how controlling they are. But here's the deal, disciples. What, what they don't realize is when you try to control everything, you end up enjoying nothing. Control freaks are always the most miserable people you're going to bump into. Matter of fact, it's easier to, to control the wind. It's easier to, to control the, the, the waves of the sea than it is to control the hearts of men and women and people. You just, you, you might make them conform if you frighten them enough, but externally you cannot change a heart apart from the power of God. So he, he says this about the Gentiles, and, and actually it's, it's, it's a rebuke to the way people lead. Then he looked at his disciples and said, y'all know how they do it, yet it shall not be so among you. 
Headship in the kingdom of God, leadership in the kingdom of God is never about power for the sake of power, but it's always about an opportunity to serve. So he says, you know how they do it. But in my kingdom, whoever desires to be great, if you want to be all that to Jesus, let him be your servant. Meaning the higher the calling you have in the kingdom, the greater the level of sacrifice you automatically sign up for. So before we get into man being the head and all that, you need to recognize that the spirit behind leadership is not domination. The spirit behind leadership is never oppression. The spirit behind leadership is really to advance and to do it in an orderly, functional manner. You see, the world argues over who's boss. But God's children, only argument ought to be, how can I better serve? Now, if you view these next few verses that we study today, through this lens, you're going to be fine. But if you view them through any other lens, it's going to be a very, very bumpy ride. Y'all ready? Y'all locked in? Ephesians 5 and 22. I'm going to say that verse, that verse, that verse, that verse. This verse has been so abused, though. It says, wives, submit. First, be careful about reading what it does not say. The Bible does not say obey your husbands. Now, the Bible does say children obey your parents. Two very different Greek words are used here for the relationship between the husband and the wife. It does not say, I know some some of our vows you say, but that's not what the book says. It says, submit. So if God and hubby are ever in conflict, always go with God. Always go with God. God. Wives, submit. Let's make sure we understand terms here. The term translated submit here was a military term in the first century, and it was used for how a soldier submitted to military authority. And what it meant was to come under and to support the authority to help the team accomplish the mission. Last week, I spent a lot of time developing this idea from Scripture. I'm not going to do it again, but we discovered that by nature, according to the Bible, men need help. The best man needs help. But if you're a wife, you cannot help your husband until you first both get on the same page. Wives, submit to your own, not everybody else's, husband. 
as to the Lord. Continue to monitor your lens. Because Paul did not say women submit to men. It says wives submit to your own. There's only one of them. Husband. Here's the deal. If you don't ever want to submit to a man, don't get married. That went just the same in all three (laughs) services this weekend. You see, a woman can become the president of the United States. We have queens in Scripture. A woman certainly can become a member of the Supreme Court. A woman can very effectively run a multi-billion dollar organization. But in the corporation God calls family, the wife is automatically vice president. Now you look at me and say, well, that's not fair. Well, I say to you, Well, it's not fair that you're better looking. It's not fair that you live longer. It's not fair, no matter what what father does, they always love mother more. It's not fair that you tend to be better communicators. It's not fair that you're less likely out here to be killed on a job. It's not fair that, 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 that your insurance is cheaper. It's not fair that, 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 that if our ship hits an iceberg, you have first dibs on the lifeboat. It's not fair. But life's not fair. For the husband is head of the wife. Let's monitor this lens again. Paul does not say that the wife is less than her husband. Matter of fact, Jesus says in the Bible that before Abraham was, I am, he says he's God. Because he submitted to the father didn't mean he was less than God. So submission doesn't make you less than In the marriage God-ordained, I'm talking about God being involved, relationship, God has designed it that the husband is the head of the marriage. The Bible couldn't, you know, dig into all the parts of the body, and the book can only be so big, otherwise it would be cumbersome. So so God's quite selective. So if we enlarge on this analogy and we say, "Well, well, the man is the head, I think we could probably fairly say that the woman is the neck. And God invests a woman with inborn, almost supernatural power to turn a man's man's head around. So we may be the head, but you have a way of turning that head in the direction it needs to go. Again. This is the operations manual. 
And you want to operate the product according to the instructions. So, so, so don't put 87 octane in a 93 octane engine. Like, why is this engine knocking? You ain't following the directions. Okay. So let's, let's follow the directions here. For the husband is the head of the wife. So according to the family operational manual, the husband has greater authority. But in that same house, though, the wife tends to have greater influence. By the way, what would you rather have, influence or authority? Yeah, it's the hand that rocks the cradle that rules the world. Now, I don't remember what service I said this in last week, so I'm going to digress and just listen. I'm forgetting about that clock. I, I'm going to get you out of here, but, but I'm going to digress. In the garden, God gave Adam authority. Rule over all the animals, everything that creeps on the ground. You the boss, man. You the guy. And you are, are, are my uh, uh, authority on the earth. What you say goes. And then, you know, God took the woman out of man and all that stuff. And um, then the Bible says something interesting. A lot of people misread the Bible, things that, you know, Eve was just talking to a snake. That's not quite what happened. Adam was with Eve when she had this conversation. God already gave Adam authority over all animals. So I want you to think about this. There's a snake talking to his wife. And Adam's okay with it. Something's wrong with this picture. But I want you to watch the whole exchange. Now, the snake is in her ear. Adam is too much of a punk to say anything. Yes. So he's watching this. But I want, to watch, I want you to see how it went. Adam really wasn't interested in the tree. Eve... He had authority, but Eve had the influence. Eve was looking at the tree. Ain't that, that's a pretty piece of fruit. Oh, that fruit looks like it's going to taste good, Adam. Adam, that, that fruit's going to make us wise and like God. He had authority, but she had influence. He was the head, but the neck turned. That's why we got to marry well. So in the garden, we see two different types of power expressed. Actually, it was authority that was not used and influence that was used. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, what scripture is saying here? is that the only way that God licenses a man to lead in a home is as Christ does. Now, here's the deal. People who are employees of the other corporation, they might run their family one way. But those of us who are part part of Father and Son, Inc., we realize... That our marriage relationship is an expression of our faith. Our faith is not just something we do on Sunday. 
Our faith is expressed in the bedroom, in the kitchen, you hear what I'm saying, in the car, and in every area of our lives. Now, here's the deal. I'm not trying to pick an argument with anyone. And so I'm not trying to argue with you about your home. But in our homes, talking about people who love the Lord, the husband-wife relationship is always bigger than just two. Always. According to the text we just read, the husband and wife relationship represents something bigger. Christ and those he died to redeem the church. So a husband and wife are a reflection of Christ and the church to the children. So when we bust up and bang up our marriages, we are often busting up and banging up our children's image of God. And by the way, if you teach your children that church is optional, it's just a matter of time before they grow up and conclude, you know what? God is optional. Therefore, just as Christ, or the church, forgive me, is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the model for every husband is Christ. And we see that Jesus, in John 5 and 19, only did what he saw the Father do. This is important, because kids don't listen to what you say, they watch what you do. And Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't just say what the Father said. He watched what he did, and he replicated it. Number one, the first thing a wife or a woman wants in a man is a man who would dare act like Jesus and not the devil. He says, husbands, love your wives. The second thing she needs, according to our operations manual, is love. Last week we talked about certainly she needs to be respected, but typically it's not number one on her list like with men. Matter of fact, I've, I've, I've watched women. I have, you know, sisters. I, unfortunately, God didn't give me the privilege of having a daughter, but the, 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 the reality is a, a woman typically will put up with some disrespect if she believes her man loves her. But it's the stupid man that takes advantage of her wiring. Because she's only going to do that but so long. Husbands love your what? Wives. Now, why does he go on to add this next clause? Because he knew how we are, and uh, we probably try to twist what this word uh, might mean. So what he said is, I'm going to use the word agape, which, which, which means a certain type of love. But I'm also going to paint a picture that's crystal clear so you know exactly what I'm talking about in this next clause. You need to love her as Christ also loved the church, watch this, and gave himself for her. So according to God, a man's love for a woman is not defined by his feelings but his level of sacrifice. So brothers, if it never hurts like you're being nailed to somebody's cross, it's not the man up type of love 
that God's talking about. If you never feel like you can't take it anymore, if you never feel just a little bit wounded, just a little bit hurt, just a little bit tired of the last outburst, if you never felt laughed at, mocked, ridiculed, you have not yet stepped into the full-grown man type of love. You're still a pup in puppy love. Before the cross, Jesus went to Gethsemane, sweat droplets of blood, but he did what he had to do. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.